and she's three years old. And uh, Paula and I enrolled Eden and then Micah, once he was there and saw his sister doing this, he wanted to do it as well, into a little tumbling gymnastics class. It's, it's a really low-key class. We don't compete. They just go and exercise and have fun. And one of the things that they do at this gymnastics class is to walk and balance on a beam. And you can't probably see this from your seat, but in both pictures, my daughter Eden uh, has her little tongue sticking out. <laughs> And the reason she's doing that is because she's concentrating on the beam. She realizes that she has to put one foot in front of the other and it's narrow. And so she has to make sure that all of her focus is on the beam. And I love even on the other side, you have an instructor holding her, making sure she could balance if she loses balance. And then even in the other picture, she's trying to make sure that she stays on the beam. And when I, when I saw her and then saw Micah doing this in gymnastics class, it reminded me of what our lives with Christ should look like. That we should live our lives on the beam. That we should have one focus, one purpose, one mission, one heart, one hope. And that, yeah, it is narrow, but it's worth it. And we have to put one foot in front of the other. And man, it's so easy for us to lose balance. It's so easy for us to waver. Now, if Eden were to lose balance and fall, obviously she wouldn't hurt herself because she has a soft mat to fall on. But if you and I lose our balance, if we fall off the beam, it's detrimental. It's detrimental to our relationship with God. It's detrimental to our relationship with others. And I'm going to tell you in a little while how detrimental it is to those who are on the outside of faith, looking in at your life, seeing if this is the kind of life that they want. Because they're not going to come to church, not going to read the Bible, but they'll read your life. And they want to see, is it worth it to live life on the beam? And someone who knew about this kind of life was a guy who wrote often in his journals to God. It got published into a book now in the middle of the Bible called the Psalms. And King David was an author of many of those Psalms. And in Psalm 86, he's writing a Psalm. And the interesting part of this Psalm is he's writing in the midst of pain, suffering and hurt and trials. Because in the midst of this Psalm writing, David is going through tons of tribulation because people want to kill him. And every single day David wakes up, there are people at his doorstep that want to take his life. But when you read Psalm 86, you quickly forget that he's in pain. And the reason is that though David inwardly and outwardly is struggling mightily, he puts his entire trust in God. It's as if David's saying, it's not good in here. And it's not good out there. But if we're good, then it's okay. And I think, man, how wouldn't it be great to live a life like that? When you're in the midst of pain and sorrow and grief and turmoil, it's real and it's a struggle and it's hard. And we may be hurting in here, we may be hurting out here, but if this is okay, we're okay. And David, he wrote about that, but he also knew it took effort and intentionality. This wasn't something that came naturally to him, nor does it come naturally to us. And so in the midst of Psalm 86, as he's reflecting on a life that lives, lives in such a way that he puts his whole trust in him, he prays a beautifully yet dangerous prayer. And he says this in Psalm 86, verse 11. 
Give me an undivided heart. The great Charles Spurgeon, years and years later, came around and he talked about what does it mean to have an undivided heart. And here's what he says. He prays, give me one heart. For too often I feel a heart and a heart. Two natures contending, two principles struggling for sovereignty. The reason why David's prayer is dangerous is because he recognized that something's not always right inside of him. That he is also known later in scripture as a man after God's own heart, but he doesn't always live that way. How do we know that? Well, he's praying for an undivided heart, which means he often has a divided heart. Or how Charles Spurgeon says it's two hearts, two hearts beating simultaneously, two hearts that they're contending, two hearts that are struggling for that God position in our lives, struggling for sovereignty in our hearts. Let me illustrate what this looks like. So let's just say this heart, this side, represent our faith in Christ. And many of us call ourselves Christ followers. And of course, it means something to you. You're here this morning. Even if you're dragged here, you're still here. So that's a good sign. And you may pray, you may give, you may read the Bible. You may do all of these things. You may have given your life to Christ as a child or maybe later as an adult. And you would say, I love Jesus. And I want you to know, I believe you, that I love Jesus as well. And I want my whole life to reflect my love for him. The problem is I don't always give him all of my love. Because while half of my heart beats for God, oftentimes something beats for something else. It's a thing in our lives that we're giving equity to like we give to God, that this God-like position in our lives belongs to God, but it also belongs to something else. And oftentimes we don't recognize it. We call ourselves Christ followers. We believe where our hearts beat for him, but oftentimes it doesn't. Oftentimes we're divided amongst three things. Either we're divided between God and ourselves because we put ourselves up there with God in our own lives and we act that way often. There may be somebody else in our lives that we have in our lives that, that, that equals God, that we, maybe it's a relationship or a friendship or somebody in our lives that we treat, when we don't ever recognize it this way, but we treat as if they're also God, that we bow down to them, just like we say we bow down to God. Or it's something else. Maybe it's success. Maybe it's a career. Maybe it's our image. Maybe it's materialism. Whatever it is, we have to have this. And we also have to have God. And our heart is divided amongst two things where truly our heart should be beating for one thing, and that's God himself. And someone who gets this, which I love, is the Apostle Paul. Many of us probably uh, have seen how the Apostle Paul writes this in Romans chapter 7. Well, I love how the message paraphrase captures this. This is not a translation of the Bible, but it's more of a, a paraphrase. Someone who wrote it in modern language just to give us a different spin on what it could look like, the way we describe it. And so this is how uh, it's described in Romans chapter 7. I love how it starts off. Yes, I'm full of myself. Amen to that? Anyone full of themselves? If you say no, you're lying. <laughs> All of us are. All of us are prideful. All of us are selfish. All of us wake up in life. Yeah, we love God and we love other people, but we really love ourselves. And Paul's like, I really love myself because I spent a long time in sin's prison. 
And what I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way. I wanna, I wanna live for God. I want my heart to beat for God. But then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. For if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decided too good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyways. I love how Paul sums this up. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. You see, I, I love God. I function sometimes with an undivided heart. However, it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in the delight. Does all of you delight in God in its entirety? Are you living life on the beam? Or are you wavering and have fallen off? We are called to live an undivided life. And when we live the divided life, there's destruction that happens with us and God, with us and others, and with us and those who don't know Jesus. So what I wanna do for the next few moments, I wanna look at the evidence of a divided heart. I'm gonna sit down. And the reason is I never want you ever to think I'm ever teaching at you because I'm in it with you, but to sit down allows me to give you that visual that I am struggling with the same things that Paul is struggling with and David is struggling with in these verses. And so what I want you to do is I want you to look at this objectively. Don't spin it. Don't say, oh, I struggle with that sometimes. If you do, it's okay. We can't improve our lives if we don't admit where we're at. Second thing I don't want you to do is to think about somebody else the whole time. Like, I know someone here who struggles with that. And if you want to think of that person, great. But make sure you uh, look at yourself first. The third thing is I'm going to put one up there that's very controversial. One that you're going to want to throw your shoe at me with. And if you do, I keep your shoe. Second of all, what I will say today will produce some inordinate anger in your life. And it's interesting, one of my favorite authors says, if you have inordinate anger just welling up in you, follow it down and you will find the thing that you're living for that's not God. And so if we get frustrated and so angry about a topic, maybe it's because we're in the midst of living in it. All right, so let's get started. I'm gonna put, first of all, what our lives should look like in white, the beam life, and then in yellow will be the divided life. So an undivided heart before God, those who live on the beam, one purpose, one mission, will look at pain in this way. I trust God's ways, even if they are not my ways, especially when I'm going through pain, because I know God will not waste my pain somehow in some way. It's been said that pain does two things in our lives. It either leads us towards God or it leads us away from God. And when we're going through pain and we live an undivided life before him, then we know, even though we don't like it, we can still trust God. That his ways and his thoughts and his purposes are so much bigger than ours. And if we go through pain, we know that God is not going to waste it. He will use it. And oftentimes, God uses it in two ways. One, he uses pain to make us more like him. Jesus calls himself a man 
of great sorrows, a man who understood pain. And that pain led him to depend on God more. And when you and I are just going through our lives and everything is okay, it's very easy for us to fall off the beam. But when life is really hard and you have nothing else to cling to other than God, then it draws you to him. It it helps us become more like him and he won't waste our pain. And that's the second reason why we can trust God with it. There are some of you that have gone through horrendous things that I wouldn't want to wish on anybody. But there are other people going through the same things that you're going through. And God can take your pain and turn it into your testimony. And the greatest thing about that is you can feel and understand what other people can't feel and understand. You know, empathy, walking in somebody's shoes. What a gift you could be if we approach pain in a way that is undivided, that looks at God and says, God, you will use this for your glory. But oftentimes, if we live a divided life, when we trust ourselves, when we trust God, we like God when things are going well, but not when things aren't. And so I can't trust God's ways when they don't line up with my ways. Because God, or especially when God allows me to go through pain, I will either avoid it or I'll take matters in my own hands. There is a time when you're going through pain, whether God will be God or you will be God. What I mean by that is you can take pain and you can take it in your own hands and you can do something about it. But oftentimes that leads to more pain in our lives. There are people that I know, and I can even see it in my own life, when, we go to, when we're in pain, we go to something else in order to dull the pain. For me, it's food. When I feel like something is out of control, I go to food to comfort me. Some of us go to food. Some of us go to social media. Some of us go to alcohol or drugs or gambling or something that is that vice that we think will dull the pain. But the thing is, in the moment, it feels good, but afterwards, the pain goes up because that thing hasn't changed and now we're addicted to something that is now wreaking havoc on our lives. So we either trust God with the pain or we trust ourselves to deal with the pain. And we live a divided life. It can lead to a divided life. The second one that I want to tell you about um, is the one that you may get your shoes ready to throw at me. I prayed a lot about this, and um, I'm completely fine with what I'm going to say. Uh, and I don't say that arrogantly. I just say I've prayed a lot about it and talked to a lot of people. If you have a problem afterwards, please, I always stand up here. Come talk to me. I'm going to talk about politics. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> John Wesley, he was a preacher that went around on a horse. He was a circuit preacher. And when he would go around and it was political time, he would talk about a message and he broke it into three ways of going about politics with an undivided heart, life on the beam. And here is what John Wesley says, how we ought to approach politics in a way that reflects Christ and Christ alone. He says that we ought to vote for the person they judged most worthy, not by party, but by person. That we speak no evil of the person or party that they voted against. And finally, we would take care that their spirits were not sharpened against others that voted on the other side. I heard some amens. Good. But church, we're not doing a good job of this. If you were to pull my generation and younger and you were to ask them why they don't go to church, it's not what we believe. 
It's not what we believe that many have a problem with. Some do, but a lot of them have a problem with what we do with our beliefs. There are so many people who call themselves Christ followers. When it comes to politics, they act nothing like it. Jesus says, if you ought to be my disciples, what will separate you is not you taking a political stance. It's by your love. Your love for people that disagree with you. Your love for people on the other side of the aisle. Your love for people that don't look like you or talk like you or act like you or believe like you. That's when love really matters. Loving someone that believes in you and agrees with you, that's easy. But to love someone on the other side is difficult. And yet Christ followers, how come that when we look at social media and we check in at the chapel or we put up a Bible verse and the very next time that we put something, it's something against the other political party. We put up a meme or we put up a thought or we put up a quote or we put up an image that polarizes us from others, that hurts other people on the other side. How can we call ourselves Christ followers and act that way? There are people whose eternities are at stake that want nothing to do with Jesus because they all think we talk and act this way. Why would they ever want to come to a church when they see what you believe? They don't have a problem with that, but how we act. How sad is that? I don't care what you believe, whether it's Republican or Democrat, but I do do care about how you act with it. And when we live with an undivided heart, we should be able to vote, not with our party, but for whoever we love. And we can interact with other people, but we don't have to get in a fight with them. Especially us, Christ followers. I don't care what the other side does, whether you vote Republican or Democrat, but we are called to care for what we say and do. And that's why when we live a divided life, Here's what we'll do when it comes to politics. We'll only vote for the person that aligns with my party. So if someone's in my party and I don't agree with them, I have to vote for my party. But if that person is not lining up with who Christ is and have Christ-like values to the closest that we can, we have to vote with Jesus, not with our politics. We speak, we, don't, we speak evil of the opposing party on social media and we cause relationships to be fractured with those that voted on the other side. My mom has two other sisters. Those two sisters are best friends. They're going on a cruise together with their spouses and others. My uncle told me he can't talk to the other, to the other brother-in-law and sister-in-law about politics. He'll end in a huge argument. And it breaks my heart because they're family. Because we, if we have a divided heart when it comes to politics, we believe that Jesus is on the throne, that he is king, but whoever's, whoever's president, whether it's Trump, Obama, Clinton, Bush, it doesn't matter. We believe that their reign on the throne is equal to God's. But it's not. God is on the throne. God is the one that allows our government to be what it is. And God will use that regardless of the political party we have. But when we divide our life when it comes to politics, there are people in your life that won't set foot in this church because they don't see Jesus. They see people acting like buffoons who call themselves Christians. That's gotta change. That's gotta change. Because I have a lot of family and friends, and so do you, that won't step foot in this church or a church or believe in Jesus. Not because of what we believe, because how we live it out. We gotta live with a divided life, life on the beam that represents Christ in all that we do, even in our politics. Do you know what, you know what party I believe in? 
You know what party I'm in? You don't, do you? Good. Let's keep it that way. When I am wrong, when I live life on the beam, I am the first person to admit when I'm wrong. And I apologize, and I am the first one to ask for forgiveness because I care more about the relationship than being right. So when we're wrong, we are the first ones to run to that person, whether it's our spouse or our stranger, and to say, I am so sorry. My life, is, my life is lived for God, and I don't have to keep a record of right and wrongs. I just want to keep a record of good relationships. And so I can quickly apologize, and I'm okay if I'm wrong, because it's not about me. But when I live a divided life, and I bow down to me equally to God, I have a hard time admitting when I'm wrong, because it's usually not my fault. And if I do apologize, it's because the other person apologized first. I can't tell you how many times that, that Paula and I will live a divided life when it comes to our interactions with each other like this. She may be right or I may be right. And then we, we dig our heels in and instead of just forgiving one another or asking for uh, a forgiveness or offering an apology, we start to fight. And what once was a little thing that was, meant nothing ends up in this huge fight. We start taking jabs at each other. And usually I am the one that's wrong, by the way. <laughs> But wouldn't it be great if I just said, I love you so much. I don't care if I'm right or wrong. I just want to be okay. When we live on the beam. We're okay with that. We're living off the beam and we're living for ourselves and living for God. Good luck getting an apology out of you. When I'm listening to others, I listen more than I speak because I know I can learn from the other person regardless of who they are. Whether it's a child or an adult, I am listening and leaning in because I'm not God and I don't know everything. And one of the greatest ways that we represent God and live life on the beam is to really be present with people and to listen to them. Because a lot of people, all they need is people to listen to them. But when we live divided, we speak often. And then when someone else is speaking, we interrupt them. And we're oftentimes distracted. And the reason we're distracted is because we're hearing but not listening. And the reason we're hearing and not listening is because we're trying to formulate our comeback to somehow think that that's going to win the argument never works. It damages relationships. And if we hold ourselves in the same standards we hold God, if we say we love God, but then we love ourselves equally, you're going to see relationships fractured because we're speaking more than we're listening. And finally, my self-worth is grounded in my relationship with Jesus because I know Ephesians tell me, tells me I'm his masterpiece, his design. And because I'm that, I'm content and at peace regardless of what others think of me. Life on the beam doesn't care what other people think of you, whether it's positive or negative. As long as you're humble and you recognize where your worth comes from, from God alone and in redemption in Christ, then we can live a life of peace and relaxation in Jesus. But the opposite, I see in the world and I also see in the church is my self-worth is determined by the mirror, the approval of others, what I have or what I do. And because of this, I'm often restless and I have an insatiable desire for more. Some of us in this room say we love Jesus, but what we're filling into our lives every day, trying to get value and worth, is what I look like, what I do, what I have, what social media says about me, what others say about me. And the list goes on and on. 
And the reason you and I go to bed empty every single night is because those things that we're filling, we don't know, has a hole at the bottom of our cup, so to speak. And all of those things I just described, we're filling, and at the end of the day, we're empty. When we live a divided life and we put things at God's level and we split our heart between them, you will always live divided. You will always live empty. You will always live wondering why we feel this way. God doesn't want half of us or a part of us. He wants all of us. The problem is we don't always give him that. But the solution, the solution's found in verse 11. How do we deal with this divided heart? Well, David tells us, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. He's literally saying, I don't always follow your way, God. When I wake up in the morning, I intend to stay on your path, and then some way, I'm way off this way. And I want to live a life where I'm just solely living on the beam with an undivided heart. But there's so many things that's pulling me that I live divided. And if David were here today, he'd say, amen, me too. But he goes to God with his desires. He goes to God when he realizes that he's straight away or that his heart is divided. He doesn't make excuses like a lot of us do. He doesn't justify it. He humbles himself under God's leadership. And he begs God to bring him back on the path, to give him an undivided heart. Do we live that way? When we live that way, do we justify it? Do we excuse it? Or do we run to God saying, please help me? Not just on Sundays when we're here. Every other day, we live in life on the beam. Paul, he gets to the end of himself. He literally says, I'm at the end of my rope. Have any of you been there when you're looking at your spiritual journey and you're trying so hard and you're trying so hard and you're trying so hard and you just get to the end. You're like, what? What's, I don't even want to live like this anymore. Paul felt the same way, but then he says, run to Jesus. The answer is Jesus. And he acted to set things right in this life of contradictions. If you have a life where you look inwardly and you're conflicted between two gods, two hearts, you live a divided life, welcome to a man who wrote scripture. And he goes, God, in this life of contradictions, I'm a mess, only you can sort it out. That's what we need to go. That's why we celebrate communion. We, we know God's grace is unending. He, he, so, he takes the cup that's empty at the bottom and he plugs it so it can never run empty but overflow. We have to run to him. One of my favorite pictures, I showed it before, is of my little daughter Eden. And what I like about, like about this is on the high beam, she's a little bit more nervous. And if it was just her by herself, she would fall off. But there's her instructor holding her hand, steadying her, allowing her to walk on the beam. You and I have a God who wants to walk us along his path to give us an undivided heart. He will not let you fall off the beam. And if you somehow do fall off the beam at your own choosing, just like this instructor would take my little girl and put her back on the beam and say, try again. So does our God. He takes us, he puts us back on the beam. He says, try again, try again. Try again. The only way that happens when we run to Jesus with a divided heart. That's the only way we can live the undivided heart. If you are here today and you say it's impossible, then I can promise you we're not running to God. Every moment of every day, over time, you will live in such a way that your life will look less 
divided. And when we live this way, here's the results. He says it right in the next verse. He says, I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. To praise God in all situations with our whole heart means whether it's good or bad, life's easy or tough, whether I'm a mess or not, I can praise God because I see him in everything. Praise isn't just what we do on stage. Praise should be our life. It should overflow because we live with an undivided heart. And then the result is that we glorify God forever. You know what it means to glorify God? It means that we live in such a way that our lives are pointing upward. That our life is all lived, whether it's our finances or our relationships or our jobs, whatever it is, it's pointing to him. It's making God look amazing and huge and beautiful. And when we do that, the people in our lives, instead of seeing a person with a divided life who lives in such a way, aka a hypocrite, they can see someone and say, wow, I want what they have. And so when we look at studies in the next five years, instead of our millennials and younger saying, I don't want anything to do with church because they're this, this, and this, maybe they'll start saying, wow, I saw these Christians and they actually look like they act and they actually reflect who the Father is. That's what it means to glorify him. Isn't that what you want? Then we have to have an undivided heart. We have to have an undivided heart where we're not split between two loves, two gods, but God has all of us. We live life on the beam. 